At 6 a.m. on February 17, 1959, George Atmanaki woke up to the sound of the cold Siberian wind rippling the walls of his canvas tent. He rolled over and shook his comrade Vladimir awake. The two of them were part of a seven-man search team near the base of Mount Otorton. Their mission was to find a group of missing hikers who'd last been seen on January 28th, more than two weeks earlier. But before they could keep searching, the two rescue workers were tasked with preparing a meal for the rest of their group. As they cooked, George glanced up to admire the bright moon, or at least what he thought was the moon. Yet suddenly, the orb blinked and its middle grew brighter. It was as if a glowing ember was inside a floating light bulb. The ball of light doubled in size, then tripled. George quickly realized that it wasn't growing bigger. It was racing towards him at an incredible speed. The orb silently tore through the clouds above him, like a magnificent cream-colored disk trailed by smaller spheres. Then the object changed colors. The light inside it dimmed, and the edges melted into the pale gray sky. The last traces of it then vanished into the darkness. The whole encounter lasted less than a minute. George gaped at the empty horizon, his mind racing with questions. His gaze then drifted down to Kolatsyakl, the mountain where the UFO had lingered. He didn't know it yet, but under the packed snow, nine dead hikers lay frozen in their undergarments. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the Dyatlov Pass incident. In 1959, nine experienced hikers, mostly college students, froze to death on a mountain in northern Russia. Last time, we covered their expedition and the tragic search to find the Dyatlov Nine when they didn't return. This time, we'll dive into the conspiracy theories that have spawned in the expedition's wake. Amongst dozens of potential explanations, three possibilities have stood out, like conspiracy theory number one, that the hikers were killed by a UFO, or conspiracy theory number two, that they were murdered by Manzi hunters or government agents. And finally, conspiracy theory number three, that their deaths were the result of a tragic accident which the Soviet government covered up. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
the luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Kolatsyakol, also known as Dead Mountain, is where Igor Dyatlov and his friends perished. It's a remote, desolate place, about 300 miles from the nearest Russian city. The indigenous Manzi peoples had legends, which in hindsight may have been thinly disguised warnings, to keep people away from Kolatsyakol. One such story reportedly told of nine hunters who died on the mountain during a terrible calamity. The tales also included descriptions of so-called flying lights and golden orbs. In other words, unidentified flying objects. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. The Dyatlov Nine were victims of a UFO attack. It's tempting to write off the Manzi UFO stories as myth, but they're not the only people who've seen the mysterious orbs. Between 1959 and 1961, an aviator named Gennady Patrushev saw glowing spheres multiple times over Kolatsyakol. He told his wife that whenever he got close to the mountain, his instrument panel went haywire. He even lost control of his plane. Two years after the Dyatlov Pass incident, Patrushev crashed near the mining town of Ivdel, one of the hikers' last stops. His wife appears to have believed the inexplicable spheres were responsible. The word of one man's widow may not exactly count as proof, but according to author Henning Kirsten, in the two years following the Dyatlov 9's passing, eight other planes went down in the area. Siberia was a hotbed of UFO sightings, especially during the Cold War. More importantly, these supposed encounters with extraterrestrials had something in common. They often left behind radioactive residue. High levels of radiation are often thought of as being found near atomic test sites or nuclear reactors. This ties into the speculation that nuclear energy may also power alien ships, a subject of interest to Soviet authorities. We've touched on the Soviet government's response to all things extraterrestrial before, as you might remember from our UFOs Behind the Iron Curtain episodes. UFO sightings were especially common in the area around Kolatsyakol. Multiple witnesses saw them during the same month that the hikers perished. On the morning that rescue worker George Atmanaki reported seeing a flying orb, around nine others also claimed to have witnessed the UFO. 
Among them were four soldiers and two meteorologists, meaning people who were probably accustomed to seeing celestial phenomena. Detective Lev Ivanov, the lead investigator on the Dyatlov case, wondered if these lights may have caused the hikers' deaths. He asked locals if they saw anything unusual in the sky on February 1st, the day the hikers died. As it turns out, they did. Several tourists on a nearby mountain saw flying orbs near Kolatsyakl that evening. Indigenous Manzi hunters reportedly testified to witnessing similar lights in the region, too. The Dyatlov 9 may have even photographed a UFO the night they died. When rescuers discovered the tent, they found a camera already attached to a tripod. The last frame in the camera roll showed two blurry light sources against a pitch-black background. One of the objects was square-shaped, with a fuzzy trail of light that widened to the top of the frame. It could very well have been a glowing object falling to Earth. Detective Ivanov knew the photo wasn't conclusive proof of anything, and he didn't immediately believe the stories about UFOs. But with each new clue, his case grew stranger. Ivanov had trouble reconciling the physical evidence with the hiker's wounds. For example, Georgi Krivonoshenko, the group's musician, had severe burns that couldn't be easily explained. His leg was blistered, and according to some reports, his hands were charred black. Ivanov's first thought was that Georgi's burns were caused by the campfire. But to suffer such severe skin damage, Georgi would have had to keep his limbs in the flames for a long time, minutes maybe. That's an extensive amount of time to accidentally light oneself ablaze. Which is why UFO believers thought that his wounds were more likely to have been the result of some kind of otherworldly energy, one that burned him in seconds. Plus, there was also the matter of Luda Dubinina's gruesomely mutilated body. The coroner evidently explained to Ivanov that her missing tongue and eyes might have been carried off by a scavenger like a bird. However, according to some reports, the victim's stomach was filled with blood. This indicated that her tongue may have been removed while she was still alive. But the snow around her body was undisturbed. It was as if whomever or whatever took her tongue had flown away with it. Then, the detective found radiation on the hiker's clothing. One sweater had nearly 10,000 counts per minute. To give a sense of scale, normal background levels usually hover between 20 to 30 counts per minute. Some people theorized that the hikers had bought the contaminated clothing before setting out for Mount O'Torton, but Ivanov dismissed this. When the garments were washed, much of the radiation disappeared, indicating that the clothes didn't inherently have high levels of radiation, like if they'd been contaminated before they were purchased. This meant that the hikers were probably exposed shortly before they died. This connection between UFOs, radioactivity, and the hikers' bodies intrigued Ivanov. Three months after the Dyatlov 9's passing, the detective returned to the site of the tragedy to re-examine where Luda's radiated corpse was found. Unfortunately, he didn't find the source of the radiation, but he did discover several burnt trees near the edge of the forest. 
They'd clearly been exposed to high heat, yet the snow around them hadn't melted, seemingly defying the laws of physics. Even off-connected radiation, charred trees, and mutilated bodies to the flying lights the Manzi described. He didn't know what they were, but he could understand how the hikers would have rushed out of their tent to see one. And although he couldn't prove it, he believed the orb had attacked the group and taken Luda's tongue. Ivanov said he brought his UFO theory to his higher-ups, expecting to be laughed at. Instead, his boss told him to classify the entire investigation. Like a dutiful public servant, he eventually followed orders and closed the case. Most of the classified UFO evidence that Ivanov allegedly gave to his superiors has since gone missing. The only things Ivanov himself saved were a few of Georgi's photos. These were kept safe for decades, and he never mentioned a word about what he discovered. But in November 1990, as the Soviet Union crumbled, the former detective broke his silence. He published an article in a local newspaper titled The Enigma of the Fireballs. In the piece, Ivanov laid out his findings in the Dyatlov investigation, including the radiation and witness accounts of bright orbs in the sky. Interestingly, he claimed that the head of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, was personally aware of his work. But many of Ivanov's claims are unprovable, and recent discoveries have cast doubt on his UFO theory. For example, although multiple people saw lights near Ivdel on February 17th and later on March 31st, no one actually seems to have seen any on February 1st, the day of the tragedy. It turns out that the tourists may have mixed up the dates they claim to have seen a UFO. On February 2nd, the day after the Dyatlov 9's passing, a rocket launched from the Kapustin Yar testing range near the southern border of Russia. The burning spacecraft could have been confused for a UFO. There was also another launch on February 17th when the two rescue workers, George and Vladimir, had their encounter. The problem with that explanation, though, is that the burning aircraft didn't resemble a traditional plane or jet. And even if we ignore witness testimony about the object hovering in the sky, there's still no logical explanation for the burnt trees. Perhaps there is. In his book, The Dyatlov Pass Mystery is Not a Cold Case, Henning Kirsten argues that what rescue worker George Atmanaki and other witnesses saw may have been a natural phenomenon called ball lightning. Basically, it's an orb of floating electricity that can extend up to several feet in diameter. And if it exploded, that could explain the burnt trees and most of the injuries. Lightning couldn't cut out Luda's tongue, though. A missing tongue doesn't necessarily spell extraterrestrial involvement. Of all the UFO encounters we've researched, Luda would be the first to be mutilated in such a way. Our conspiracy speculates that the Dyatlov 9 were attacked by a UFO, but unidentified flying objects could include natural phenomena, like ball lightning, which might be a more realistic possibility than aliens. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I give this theory a 3. Still, we shouldn't take the possibility of extraterrestrials off the table either. 
As we mentioned, there were several well-documented UFO sightings in Siberia that looked nothing like ball lightning. I rate this theory a 4 out of 10. One thing we can agree on is that UFO sightings, natural or otherwise, are pretty rare. A UFO killing nine hikers at once would be even more unlikely. And there might be a better answer much closer to Earth. Coming up, the Dyatlov 9 may have been murdered. This is Storybooth Daily. Tune into this new podcast for your daily fix of real-life stories from real people around the world. We've received thousands of stories that we want to share with you, from talking about being ghosted or realizing that being popular isn't all that great sometimes. No topic is off the table. This is a podcast that's not only for you, but by you. Storybooth Daily premieres November 8th, so be sure to check us out Monday through Friday. Storybooth Daily is a wheelhouse and Spotify original from Parcast. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. And now back to the story. The first missing hikers of the Dyatlov 9 were discovered in late February 1959. Most rescue workers believed that a windstorm had carried Igor Dyatlov and his fellow adventurers down the Siberian mountain they'd trekked up. However, that explanation seemed less plausible after the remaining bodies were found. They appeared to have died violent deaths, and investigators were at a loss to explain the cause. Though the lead detective stood by his UFO theory, extraterrestrials may have been a convenient scapegoat. Because if there was a more sinister culprit closer to Earth, it's possible Detective Ivanov might have overlooked them. That's the root of conspiracy theory number two. The Dyatlov 9 were murdered by skilled assassins. The most likely perpetrators were Manzi hunters, CIA spies, or the KGB. The strongest evidence of homicide comes from the hiker's autopsy results. Many indicated that a physical altercation took place. Remember that both Igor and Rustik had bruised knuckles, as if they'd been in a fist fight. Yet not one of the six diaries that rescuers discovered in the tent mentions any such quarrel. The closest thing was Georgi's outburst over sleeping next to the stove, but there was no mention of it coming to blows. There's also the state of the last four victims, Luda, Sasha, Alexandra, and Kolya, most of whom suffered skull fractures or broken ribs. This condition could have been caused by a fall from 60 feet up. However, there wasn't a cliff near the bodies even close to that height. This suggests that they were struck by something. But Detective Ivanov couldn't tell the extent of their injuries until their bodies were cut open. If they were attacked, whatever hit them was probably a heavy, blunt object moving very fast. Like a crowbar or a baseball bat. Another autopsy also pointed to foul play. At least one of the hikers, Yuri Doroshenko, was moved after he perished. 
The peculiar marks on his body were telling. When a person dies, blood pools at the lowest points of their body, leaving dark spots known as liver mortis. Yuri had these spots in his back and neck, yet his corpse was found face down, meaning someone rolled him over. Witness testimonies suggested the whole crime scene may have been staged. Some thought that the authorities were the ones who moved the victims' bodies before investigators arrived. Recall that the group's empty tent was supposedly located by Igor's friend, Boris Slobsov, who was following ski tracks. However, multiple sources alleged that it was actually spotted one day earlier by a helicopter pilot. A navigator on that route supposedly recalled seeing the tent during one of their flights. But it wasn't abandoned. There was a body right beside it and another not far away. By the time Slopsoff arrived one day later, both bodies were gone. Ivanov didn't know about this discrepancy. But if the bodies were displaced, that would make homicide a more plausible explanation for the hikers' deaths. The fact that no one ever came forward to admit having moved the corpses makes it likely that whoever tampered with them didn't want to be caught. One obvious suspect was a group of escaped prisoners. Remember that Kolatsyakl wasn't too far from several forced labor camps. However, that seemed unlikely. The hiker's tent was full of valuables, such as cameras, and more importantly, no one escaping into the Siberian wilderness would leave heavy winter coats and fur caps behind. Having ruled out prisoners, Ivanov next suspected the indigenous Manzi. He had heard rumors that Kolatsyakl was sacred to the Manzi, and women were not allowed on it. If the female hikers had trespassed onto holy ground, it could have been a motive for murder. But a local forestry officer dismissed the possibility of Manzi involvement. If that were the case, he would have seen the indigenous people in action. An investigator also sat down with three Manzi men who assured him the mountain wasn't a holy place. They told him they bore no ill will towards any Russian visitor, female or otherwise. Many locals also voiced support for the Manzi. And as far as Ivanov could tell, the Manzi were all very friendly and eager to help. They joined search parties and lent hunting dogs to sniff out cadavers. So early on, Ivanov officially ruled out the possibility of their involvement and turned his attention to the UFO theory. But he may have been too hasty. Several Manzi families apparently later told a journalist that Kolatsyakl was a sacred place. In addition, a military officer who commanded one of the search parties testified that the Manzi were one of the only people in the area who used wide skis that didn't leave deep marks in the snow. A respected shaman named Kurikov actually warned the police about a rogue family that lived in the mountains. According to him, this family was known to be violent and territorial. The author Svetlana Os suggests the possibility that this clan of outcasts killed the hikers and covered it up. However, the only physical link between the hikers and the local indigenous peoples was the Manzi Trail they were on. Which is why some people suspected the hikers may have actually been killed by government assassins. 
After all, it's unlikely that amateur killers among the Manzi could have staged a mile-wide crime scene on their own. As for which government, people tend to disagree. The mechanic-turned-author, Alexei Rukitin, believed that at least one of the hikers was a KGB spy who got caught bluffing the CIA. But they could also have been killed by the KGB for trying to smuggle out top-secret nuclear material. The KGB was the most feared organization in the Soviet Union. They planted moles in foreign governments and hunted for traitors and CIA operatives. In 1959, the Soviet Union was in a nuclear arms race with the United States. America developed the first atomic bomb in 1945, but thanks to a ring of Soviet spies, the USSR was able to copy it by 1949. Across the Atlantic, the Americans were desperate for any information about the progress of Soviet nuclear technology. Even a sprinkling of irradiated dust, say on a fur hat, could allow CIA scientists to locate the facility that made it. This dust could have easily contaminated the hikers' clothing. According to this theory, someone from Igor's group arranged a rendezvous with CIA agents on the slope of Kolatsyakol. That person may have been a defector, seeking to trade nuclear secrets for cash. Or they may have been a KGB spy trying to undermine the CIA's mission in Russia. Whether they were spies, defectors, or civilians, a few members of the group stood out as suspicious. Both Georgi the musician and Alexander worked at facilities that handled plutonium, a key ingredient in nuclear weapons. Then there was Sasha, a decorated war hero who'd fallen on hard times. As a late addition to the trek, no one knew where his true loyalties lay. If the CIA agents believed they were being set up, they would have left no witnesses. The same logic applies if the KGB was responsible and wanted to hide a potential defection. The easiest solution would have been to kill everyone and make it look like an accident. Both agencies certainly had experience with assassinations. And in the world of espionage, it's often kill or be killed. Though I'll say, cutting out Luda's tongue seems pretty vicious, even for the KGB. It's worth noting that none of the evidence we've cited conclusively points to murder. The supposed blood in Luda's stomach is what convinced many that she was alive when she lost her tongue. But Luda had severe damage to her chest, too, so the blood could have come from there. I'm not so sure. The fight wounds, the radiation, the pilot's discovery, those all seem pretty conclusive. Plus, someone moved Yuri's body after he died. Yuri could have been moved by one of his friends, like if they tried to remove his sweater to try to stay warm. And the radiation angle isn't so clear-cut. The Soviet Union had already had at least one major nuclear accident that we know of at the Mayak nuclear facility in 1957. It spread radioactive material everywhere. The hikers could have bought contaminated clothes or picked up radiation from a radioactive stream. That still leaves the problem of the crime scene appearing staged, though. Maybe not. Only two of the hikers showed any kind of defensive wound, as if they'd been in a fight. And it would have been an incredible feat to hide their tracks afterwards. Remember, to get to their campsite, 
Igor's group trudged through several feet of snow. That means the killers would have had to as well. We covered that the Manzi had wide skis that wouldn't leave any trace. For all we know, maybe the KGB enlisted their help. But there's no evidence of that. And if the hikers were under attack, they probably would have put on their boots before leaving the tent, especially to fight on the snowy mountain. Plus, the footprints leading away are bunched together, meaning the hikers weren't being chased. They were walking calmly. That still doesn't explain why the pilot supposedly saw bodies by the tent, but rescue workers couldn't find them the following day. Like with everything in this case, we can't rule out the possibility of murder. But it seems very unlikely. If the CIA or KGB were actually involved, they probably would have just used bullets and made the bodies disappear, rather than going to all the trouble of a setup. And the Manzi theory doesn't account for Georgi's burns or the crispy tree trunks that Ivanov saw. I'd give this one a 3 out of 10. When it comes to the notorious KGB, nothing is impossible. A setup could have been necessary so there could be an actual investigation to placate the public, even if it was all fake. And we still don't have a good explanation for how the final four hikers ended up so badly injured. I give this theory a 5 out of 10. UFOs and espionage aside, I think it's important to point out that there is still one more theory that explains almost everything. Coming up, the Soviet Union may have bombed the Dyatlov 9. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And now back to the story. The reason why there are so many theories surrounding the 1959 deaths of Igor Dyatlov and eight other hikers is simple. No one theory accounts for all the evidence. Whether we blame UFOs or various intelligence agencies, each story has its flaws. If all of the hikers had died of the same cause, like hypothermia, it would be easier to dismiss the other evidence as irrelevant. But the burned trees and internal injuries raise questions that are hard to answer. We have to go back to the case files to find the last possibility, which is deeply buried. Perhaps the Dyatlov 9 were bombed in an explosion. This brings us to conspiracy theory number three. The hikers died in a Soviet military accident. Afterwards, it was covered up to avoid national embarrassment. 
The autopsy evidence of the group seems to indicate blast injuries. One of the first signs of an explosion is damage to the lungs. The pathologist found blood in the lungs of multiple hikers and a foamy gray discharge in two. We've mentioned how the last four victims may have been struck by a blunt object, like a baseball bat. However, Luda's ribs were fractured symmetrically on both sides, suggesting that whatever hit her was wide and nearly flat, like a tree trunk. In other words, Luda and the other three were thrown backwards. They collided with objects like rocks and trees, which caused the severe injuries. The rest suffered minor injuries, but were disoriented enough that they couldn't find their way back to the tent. An explosion would also explain the burnt trees and Georgi's charred hands. It could even have displaced radioactive dirt. Siberian soil was rich in uranium, which is used to make nuclear fuel. The tent itself was intact, meaning that the explosion probably happened near the burnt trees. Before it did, the group fled their tent and marched calmly towards the danger zone. They even took a picture of a bright light in the sky, meaning it stayed lit for at least a few minutes. What they saw was probably something dropped from an airplane, like a flare or incendiary bomb. This may have been part of a secret Soviet Air Force weapons test. Far from prying eyes, the barren, unoccupied parts of northern Siberia would have made the ideal testing grounds. Two crew members on a long-range bomber plane later testified that they'd actually flown over the Mount Otorton region that night. The men claimed they were testing air mines, meaning bombs dropped by parachute that exploded before they hit the ground. They would have resembled glowing orbs to anyone looking up at the sky. Ivanov's boss wondered about this possibility, so he interviewed a colonel about the chance of a military test gone wrong. But the colonel assured him that was impossible. There were no scheduled tests that night. However, the colonel might not have been telling the truth. After all, military activities are often top secret. He may not have wanted to disclose any potential tests that were being conducted, especially one that failed. Imagine the public fallout if it was leaked that Soviet armed forces accidentally killed a bunch of tourists. We can get a good idea of this possibility, though, from how the Soviet government treated other tragedies. According to researcher Igor Pavlov, in June 1959, a railway accident killed 56 people, including children. Afterwards, the government forced the parents to sign non-disclosure agreements, preventing them from speaking about what happened. When the hikers were buried, their parents were reportedly also told to sign NDAs. So were the doctors and nurses who did the autopsies. In the years to come, the NDAs prevented those involved from addressing the new information that emerged about the hikers. In fact, they weren't ever able to speak to the most crucial eyewitness testimony, which later cast doubt on everything we know about the event that perhaps the bodies were tampered with. According to the case files, investigators delivered the first four hikers' frozen remains to the Central Hospital in Ivdel's prison camp in early March. This group consisted of Zina, Igor, Yuri, and Georgi. 
A coroner from Sverdlovsk performed all the autopsies with help from several of Detective Ivanov's forensics experts. Officially, the second female, Luda Dubinina, wasn't found until months later in May. However, a nurse at the Central Hospital claims she saw military personnel bring in six corpses sometime in February, including two women. While she didn't personally observe the cadavers, she said that the remains were examined by the hospital's chief of surgery, Dr. Prudkoff. Prudkoff's wife confirmed this, and yet his name doesn't appear anywhere in the case files. In other words, the official story can't be trusted, at least as it's documented. Eyewitnesses like this nurse cast doubt on the timeline's accuracy, not to mention the autopsy results as well. Igor Pavlov, who spent years researching Dyatlov Pass, believed these suppressed testimonials proved a cover-up was afoot. He suggested that the hikers were found, examined, and then put back on the mountain. Their bodies might have been washed to remove blood and arranged to make it look like they died in a blizzard. That would have been no easy feat. They'd need help from Manzi volunteers who could move quickly in the thick snow and leave no footprints behind. Plus, they had to hide any blast craters with snow and remove metal fragments left behind. Not to mention the fact that they would have had to work very hard not to be seen by the search parties. The sheer scale of such an operation should make one doubt whether a grand cover-up actually happened. It would be extremely difficult, though certainly not impossible. There are a few holes in the military accident theory, though. It doesn't account for the fact that one of the hikers, Rustique Slobodian, was not displaced. He died exactly where the search party found him. The snow around his body had melted and refrozen as he cooled, forming a bed of ice in the shape of his figure. But a nuclear explosion would justify why many of the hikers had blast-related trauma. And a cover-up would explain why Yuri Doroshenko's body was moved. Yuri's body could have been relocated by one of his comrades, possibly to take his clothes after he died. As for the injuries, they're inconclusive. The lung damage could have actually been caused by hypothermia, and we still can't rule out a fall. Plus, a blast big enough to throw Luda into a tree would probably have caused her ears to bleed and her bowels to release. Neither of these happened. But every trauma is different, especially when it comes to complicated blast injuries. So, although it may be less likely, an explosion could still be responsible. Plus, the testimonies of the nurse and bomber pilots are compelling. The nurse admitted that she never actually saw the bodies, so she might have been mistaken. As for the bombers, were unable to confirm their story. But even if it was true, they admitted they didn't know the exact coordinates where the aerial mines fell. An explosion would neatly explain the burnt trees, but everything else, including the autopsy results and missing clothes, could have alternate explanations. It seems like covering up a large explosion would be even harder than if the hikers were murdered. I have to give this theory a 2 out of 10. Considering how similarly the Soviet government allegedly treated the parents of the railway disaster, it suggests that they may have been culpable for the tragedy that struck the hikers. In the official story, 
That a windstorm carried the hikers away just doesn't make any sense. There seems to be a lot of careful effort to evade revealing information to the public. For me, this theory is a six. If you doubt all the possible explanations we've just laid out, you're not alone. In 2019, Russian authorities finally bowed to decades of public pressure and reopened the case. They concluded that the Dyatlov 9 succumbed to a freak avalanche. According to the new theory, the group fled the tent when they heard a slab of ice break off from the mountain. The hikers were then swept into the falling snow and carried down the slope. Some of them were crushed between ice bricks the size of pickup trucks, which caused their injuries. However, even this story has its glaring holes. Avalanches almost always happen on slopes with more than a 30-degree incline. But the location of Igor's tent was only about 20 degrees. As far as we know, there's never actually been an avalanche on that part of the mountain. Since there's yet to be a satisfying conclusion to the investigation, the case of the Dyatlov 9 remains a puzzle that seemingly can't be solved. Because many of the key witnesses in the investigation are no longer alive, it's unlikely there'll be any breakthroughs in the case. Thus, everyone is free to speculate and come up with their own theories. Like most investigators, we've spent the last two episodes focusing on the gruesome circumstances in which the hikers died. In doing so, it's easy to forget that they were ordinary college students in search of a great adventure. And that's exactly what they found. Their diaries are full of stories about passionate debates, close calls with the law, and new friends. They fought, sang, and laughed together. If there's anything to be remembered about the Dyatlov 9, it's that in those last few days, they were more alive than they'd ever been. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with an all-new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Xander Bernstein, with writing assistance by Ben Hanani and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely, and research by Coleman Gray. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. This is Story Booth Daily. Tune into this new podcast for your daily fix of real-life stories from people around the world. Story Booth Daily premieres Monday, November 8th on Spotify. Story Booth Daily is a wheelhouse and Spotify original from ParCast.